Hello, hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Skeptics and Seekers Sunday Sermon. Uh, and we are here uh, with some friends. So this is 4S. I'm David Johnson and friends. We have already gotten started for the second time because the first time didn't work out so well. Um, we are going to talk today about uh, demonology. And we pulled together some very unusual, usual suspects. Uh, we've got Sarah. Say hi. Hi, heathens. Okay. And we've got Matt. Good day, mates. We've got Brian with a Y. Thanks for having me back, David. There, there uh, are rumors that he may not be dressed. I started those rumors. Uh, and uh, we actually have uh, Andrew. I don't know that he will be uh, in here much. But I just saw him uh, pop up. Matthew will be watching out to see if Andrew has anything to say. And uh, you'll have to figure out your mute buttons and all of that. But that is the, um, excuse me, that is the cast of Critters that we have today. Uh, I've done a couple of shows now on Demons in Sunday Sermon. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about how I choose uh, the sermons that I do uh, every week. Most of it is kind of random. Some of it is based on what we're talking about over at Red Letters. And uh, if uh, there's a particular topic that I think, uh, you know, a, a deeper dive would be nice to have, then I might find a sermon on that subject. But most of the time, I'm looking for something else, or I'm looking for a particular personality, or, or I'm looking for a denomination uh, that I haven't heard from, and demons just come up. They just come up. It's a part of Christianity. Most denominations have some story about demons. Uh, some denominations talk about them a lot. I pass up all kinds of um, sermons every week that are on demons, or prayer, or miracles, or you know these things that churches like to talk about. I'm trying to find things that are a little bit more interesting, but sometimes, you know, you just have to take what bubbles up to the top. And so twice in our run, we have done shows on demons. And I wanted to take a moment to reflect on that. Last week, I took a moment to reflect uh, on some of the other topics that we've talked about today. We're going to devote it completely to demons. And even though there will not be a sermon per se, there will be a sermon that we will be working off of a little bit. Uh, I've got some sound clips for that. And um, so today, expect a little bit of 4S, a little bit of BSC, a little bit of red letters as we maybe talk about Jesus' perspective, and a little bit of traditional SNS. Let's see what uh, happens. Um, I want to start off with a, a little bit of an opening to kind of get the ball rolling. Now, I always give everyone a chance to make an opening statement. It's it's one of two times that you get on one of my shows where you can go uninterrupted. Everything else is fair game. <laughs> so, um uh if you uh, if you folks uh do not have something, uh I would uh give you a chance to think of your thing that you would like to say uninterrupted that we might um, uh, talk about a little bit more as the show progresses. Uh, I want to talk about our experiences because we were, we, we were all uh, Christians at one point uh, at various levels, various denominations, various parts of the world. And so I want to talk about our experiences and what we were taught about demons. You know, it's interesting week after week listening to what 
preachers say about demons. And it's all a little bit different. What were we taught? What, what did we understand uh, the truth on demons to be? I want to explore that. Uh, I want to explore whether or not we found the um, uh, doctrine on demons to be coherent. Uh, or is that something that we only started thinking of as incoherent once we left? Uh, if incoherent, can we take the doctrinal bits that we know and form a coherent doctrine on demons? And if we can't, can we just create from whole cloth a coherent doctrine on demons? Spoiler alert, I have spent some time thinking about this. I can't do it. But with the help of some of my fine furry friends, who knows? Uh, maybe, maybe it is possible. Um, and I also want to listen uh, to uh, our pastor friend. But I think before I begin my opening comment, I want to start with uh, the missing man, uh, Darren, who would have had a very interesting perspective because he did not grow up in the church. He has never been a Christian, never been a believer, always been an outsider. And so it's an excellent opportunity for Christians to hear what true outsiders think of their teachings on demons. And so, uh, Brian, if you've got that queued up, uh, let's hear uh, Darren's opening statement. Sure. This reading is from the book of Darren. Imagine, if you will, that one of your friends is telling you that leprechauns can and will sprinkle magical dust on, on you that will make you do whatever, you, whatever they want. You look at them, expecting them to be smiling and joking, instead finding out they are dead serious. You feel concerned about their sanity, whether someone so delusional should be allowed to vote and feel like you should be slowly backing away from them. Then you look around and realize the majority of the country is taking them seriously. It leads to a surreal and terrifying experience. On the bright side, you aren't really surprised that they are also trying to overthrow the government because the Republican Party found it easier to just lie to their base rather than try to come up with policy, or that the policies they do come up with seem to have the intention of being as cruel as possible. When you have no real method of distinguishing fact from fiction, those are the natural outcomes. This is the word of the Darren. Praise be to uh, anyway, um, see, we were, I, I did church at a church that, uh, did the readings that way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's, it's a call and answer response. It almost none ironically came out of me. <laughs> so, <laughs> done it Habits. so many times. Uh, pa Pavlov, Pavlov was correct and remained yeah. so. Uh -huh. Um, there were a couple of things from Darren's comment that uh, that struck me. Um, in fact, can I get you to read the very last line, the very last sentence uh, again, Brian? Sure. Yeah, after I think his, it, after it's his a powerful rant. It's a powerful uh, ending line. When you have no real method of distinguishing fact from fiction, these are the natural outcomes. Right. Um, 
this is this is a thing that strikes me about the doctrine of demons. It is one of those Christian doctrines where there is not even really an attempt at uh, presenting some type of evidence. It's just all fantasy. There is no way that any Christian can distinguish whether a preacher is giving fact from fiction. There's no way for any Christian to know fact from fiction. Um, I, I just, it's, and yet, Christians believe that they know things about demons. And when preachers talk, Christians nod as if they expect that person to know things about demons. And there is something to be said uh, for having a worldview that allows you to distinguish fantasy from fiction, uh, fantasy from fact. And this is one of those places where I think the Christian um, religion and the Christian epistemology falls well short. There's simply no way when a person starts talking about demons to distinguish what is real and what is not. Um, he had uh, he had a line there when he realizes that um, they're serious. He wants to back away slowly. And, and then when he realizes that most of the people around him uh, uh, does take it seriously, it terrifies him. It is terrifying. The doctrine of demon is terrifying, but Christians, hear me. It's not terrifying for the reasons that you think it is. Uh, we're, we're not terrified of your demons. <laughs> we're not terrified of your the consequences that you think. It's terrifying and surreal that so many people that we know and love take this seriously. Uh, I am afraid for you. I am I am worried for the state of the world. I am worried for the state of the future. That's what terrifies me. It does not give me some kind of wake-up call for my sinful condition. Uh, I, I nod. I might make sympathetic noises because, believe it or not, in my real life, I will go a long ways to avoid confrontation. Uh, your friends who know you and love you uh, who aren't Christians might uh, also nod and make sympathetic noises. I assure you, they feel the same way about it as I do. They they really don't know how to think of you. And in this area, they would simply rather you not talk about it because they don't want to think less of you. And it's almost impossible not to do it. So... Um, that's kind of that's kind of my starting point. Uh, there there are two people that I put in front of me when I think about this subject. There's the person who goes on about demons, and then there's the person who goes on about being abducted by aliens. Here's the here's the cold hard truth of it. Not being polemical, I have more respect for the person who believes they've been abducted by aliens. That one actually makes more sense to me. Who, uh, who has something to say? You go first, Sarah? I think you just volunteered. Everyone else just took a step back. Uh, so. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I'll go last um, in, this, uh, in this order. 
Is this Andrew who's just joined us? Uh, it is uh, Ghost of Andrew. I yes, killed him yes, a few indeed. Sorry, went Andrew. back on mute. So uh, yeah, yeah, I'm here. Um, I'll be in and out, but I am here. Okay. So you going, Matt, Matt, Matthew? Well, I am. Okay, I'll, I'll go for it. I'm intrigued, though, David, about your scale between the uh, the demon person and the alien person. You know, you say more respect, but I'm wondering how much more is it? Diddly much more, or is it uh, a lot more? But anyway, that, that's probably something for that. I have so many anecdotes and, and thoughts from my younger Christian years uh, on this subject. It's and none of them, looking back, paint my former belief in a way that I look favourably on it now that neither of my out. And it's a, a really peculiar place to be. And you mentioned Darren earlier. Dar and Andrew and I have had the pleasure of Darren a few times on Still Unbelievable. And I really appreciate Darren's input for the reasons that you said. He's never been there. He's never been in that soup. And so he's never been part of that. And so he comes with a different perspective when I have conversations. He asks Andrew and myself some quite pointed and challenging questions, questions that, dare I say, I probably haven't even asked myself. So voices like Darren's are very valuable in this kind of conversation because they do bring a perspective that those of us who've been in there, been in that fog of belief, haven't thought to ask themselves. So. We need more Darrens, is basically what I'm saying. Um, but I think probably the story to go with, the example which I think best portrays the ridiculousness of this whole theology, which just basically echoes what you've been saying, David, is many years ago, we're talking, I think I was an engaged uh, young man then. So we're talking around about 30 years ago. Now, I got invited by the church that I was part of to preach in an evening service because they they saw potential in me as a, as a young Christian man and maybe give me chances to preach and when somebody of my young 20 something age was given that kind of opportunity it's normally in a safe place in it in a service that's not going to have a lot of people so you've got you if you're going to have any ridiculous impact it's going to affect the least amount of people but there's certainly a support structure in place there so there I was all lined up to preach my my first sermon and in the week leading up to that I lost my job and the job that I just started I was still in my probationary period so I was still within the first three months and obviously if you're in a job and it's a probationary period they can decide you know what actually it's not working out with this employee we'll just let them go and it literally is it, it's out the door you know that's what happens when you're on your probationary period so I was still on my probationary period and in the week leading up to this, they decided it wasn't going to work out. And, and so I lost my job. And it obviously completely changed the way my mind was for the rest of that week. And meeting somebody, I can't remember whether it was before or after I preached, the exact time frame really isn't that important. But somebody said to me, when I heard the news, Matthew, I, I was really sure that it was an attack. And then I found out that you were preaching uh, Sunday evening and then I knew it was an attack and it's looking back of course I approved of that comment and I thought okay yeah it wasn't on my radar but yeah okay that makes sense but there are so many questions how do you know 
How does this happen? What's the communication structure between demons like? How do they get to the person who actually makes the decision that it's me who needs to fail my probation? What about the timing of me being in my probation at that time? Did demons have a, have a role in that as well? Which then takes you all the way back to when I started the job. Who was in charge then when I started the job before I knew I was doing the preaching thing? And all these questions come out and you realize it's incoherent. Really, there's nothing about that comment that actually makes any sense once you start pulling at all the threads of what actually had to come together, what actually had to be coordinated for that event to happen. And sometimes, you know what, guys? Shit happens. No. It's the demon and of do, shit. Have you ever, have you ever <clears throat> noticed the big super loophole in all this, which is um, exactly what you've experienced, which is when you're gunning for you know, going for God, you're big in there, you're doing the preaching, you're going to be the, the next healing, uh, you know, the next Benny Hinn on the scene, whatever, you're really going for it. That's where the devil, the devil's going to attack you. That's kind of a given. That's the way it works. That's what you're told anyway. But the way to, to stop that happening is to dig deeper into God, to do more praying, to have more protection, to have more worship, to have more repentance, to dig into the word and put on the armor and all those things and quote more verses and stuff like that. So they're actually getting you to double down on the thing that makes the, That's the, solution, the attack yeah. in the first first place. And it's like you could be in this never ending cycle of it, just more attack with more like gunning for God with more attack. You know, whereas there was something to be said for the lukewarm Christian that wasn't really going anywhere and doing very much because they would kind of be left alone. Satan would leave you alone. That was uh that was the, the thing we were told. It was uh kind of uh something to kind of aim for really. Yeah. But <laughs> I think the thing that concerns me most about that kind of theology and the effect that it had on me individually in that experience of losing my job is it gave me something to blame that wasn't me. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the big sour part of this whole thing. That's the poison in all of this theology. And it wasn't it God. Gave, it, it gave yeah. you something to blame that wasn't you and that wasn't God. And that wasn't God, yes. You know, the reality was I didn't make it through a probationary period in that employment because for whatever reason, I wasn't the right person for the job. Maybe it was something about me, or maybe there was a personality clash. But the solution was for me to be a different person. It yeah. wasn't because I was the right person, but some nefarious spiritual being poisoned it for me. It's because something in me really should have changed in order for that job to be the better job for me. And all of that expunging of that personal responsibility is what happens as a result of that. And I think that's really quite nefarious. And I think this is a whole part of this theology and that blaming demons for our own mistakes creates. And it creates, and I think at its worst, it can create arrogant people who are incapable of admitting fault. And I think that is what we need to unpack from this kind of thing. And I think Christians who get too far and too deep into this kind of thing probably become worse people as a result of it because they're incapable of accepting their own fault. Sarah, do you uh, have a statement that you would like to make before I hand it off to Brian? 
Well, I just agree with Matthew there that um, I think it really disempowers you because you just feel like you're this little pawn in the in the huge cosmic chess game, and um, and so you do you interpret every every single um, experience and whatever happens to you through this lens, and it stops you just seeing life unfolding, things happening, bad things, good things, they just happen. Um, you're not being singled out by Satan himself for some suffering. You know, it just, it, they just happen. And it, I, I find you're much more of an integrated person by rejecting that idea and not thinking it's the devil. Maybe it's your flesh. Maybe it's God. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's your fallen nature. Maybe, but you're a redeemed creature. And you're so confused by what's going on in your head, unnecessarily so, you don't, you know, you don't know whether to scratch your watch and wind your butt. You've got no idea what's going on. It's like, it's just, whereas if you can just be integrated and just like stuff happens, this is a problem. This is suffering. I can now deal with it myself. It's down to me and maybe, you know, using helping with help of other people and things. It's a much more integrated and peaceful way to live. Whereas with this constant chatter of, you know, could it just be your, your nature that's brought up this bad thought or is it a demon whispering in your ear? You've no idea. You don't, there's no way of, of evaluating it. So you're constantly in this tension. Um, and I, I honestly went back there this week looking at this information and, and digging up some of the old sermons, in particular the one that we're probably going to hear from my old pastor, um, who I thought was very moderate and very considered. And, and, you know, not we were on the charismatic side, but it was kind of not cra crazy, but... Um, you know, you look back on it, no, and it is totally nuts, but um, you're in this tension the whole time that's just exhausting. And I've got a glimpse in that this week of, of just how everything is being filtered through this constantly. Is it God? Is Am I supposed to be doing this? You know, you're trying to put your kid in a certain school and the admissions process is a bit difficult. Is that attack? Is that the flesh? Is that just, you know, should you be, you know, you get people around to all the energy you spend getting people around to pray against this so that you could, your kid can go to the school or whatever it is you're trying to achieve and this goal and is it right? And you really feel you heard God on this and, um, you know, and then, it's just it's just an exhausting way to live. It absolutely, um, I was floored by going back there to to realise just how how that happens. It's oh, crazy. I think I, I suspect we'll come back to that thought, uh, Brian. Sure. So when I was when I was a Christian, I was in the um, American Baptist strain of Christianity, and we definitely believed in Satan as a literal being. We definitely believed in demons and demonic forces. Um, but when I look back on kind of the role that it played in our belief structure, you know, we really didn't talk about them in a day-to-day -day fashion. They were really more metaphorical with regards to, you know, how demons and the devil were influencing us to be sinful uh, and to do, you know, wrong behavior and to be out of a good relationship with God. You know, so we really weren't going around, you know, looking under rocks in, in haunted houses for, you know, for demons. Uh, you know, we weren't standing up on hills with, you know, Satan figures with the pitchfork and the hoof and, and then and the tail. Uh, it, it was really more metaphorical in how it bore out uh, in reality. Um, and I'm curious as to, to, to what percentage of Christians, you know, think about demons and the devil in this way and which ones are much stronger in believing they're literally true and believe that they're literally out there. Uh, one thing that I wanted to, to bring back is, you know, we in the last iteration of Skeptics and Seekers, we had a whole show dedicated to, to Satan, uh, God of this world. Uh, and there was a Christian panel show and there was an atheist panel show. 
and there was an entire almost an 800 uh, comment thread on the discus boards going over both of these shows. Uh, and I actually went back and scrolled through the, uh, that uh, discussion board before we did the show today. And I was struck at how absolutely devoid of evidence there is for demons and the devil. It all amounts to the Bible says it's so, and that's mm -hmm. why they believe it. That's why we believed it. But again, given that I wasn't bumping into the demons, you know, at the 7-Eleven, it didn't go much beyond, you know, they're out there, be careful, you know, but we weren't, you know, really vetting them in the same way we would vet, you know, do I have, you know, a, a basketball coach? Do I have a mortgage lender? Do I have a local librarian? Do you know, I they have were kind of this, this ethereal uh, entity uh, that we were worried about, you know, entirely in the kind of metaphysical realm. Um, so, you know, I, I hopefully after this show, if we're going to have any sort of extensive comment thread, I, I want the Christians to bring the evidence. Where's the evidence beyond that the Bible says it's so that there are actually demons out there doing stuff? You know, th that's that's the part that really struck me um, about this it's topic. All, it's all pre-sup, isn't it? It's just presupposition that, that, that it's true. And, and we go from there. No, there's never any laying down of, of evidence. I mean, that just doesn't come up. It's, it's anecdotal at best, but mostly just the Bible says, says, says it says that. So that's it. So You're I right. believed in the existence of demons because I was taught to believe it. You know, if I'd mm -hmm. gone to a different church which didn't teach it, I wouldn't have believed it. It right. really is that simple. Before, before and from a young age as well. I think if you've got, it's not just glasses that you're wearing and seeing the lens through. You have had cataracts implanted at birth to view the, the world this way. It's just the way the world is. There's no, we'll, we'll this is there. why it's so We're going to get there. Okay. The host has his hand up. <laughs> Uh, okay, we're gonna get there. Uh, we're all we're so, all rusty, David. We're, we're rusty. Yeah, give us yeah. give us a break. Um, <laughs> look, I'm I'm chomping at the bit for this one too. Um, before we hit head uh, to Andrew, I just want to um, make a quick note for the listeners, uh, and maybe even you, uh, Brian, because uh, you uh, made a comment in a uh, discussion thread we were in before on Calvinism that you were. Uh, an American Baptist, and I want to make a distinction between the American Baptist and the Southern Baptist. Um, it's not the same thing, and Southern Baptist is really, I think, the Baptist that people think of, at least in America, as Baptist. If there is a garden variety, vanilla, generic Baptist that people think of, it's probably Southern Baptist, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that that has that. And so, for instance, you mentioned that the American Baptist uh, didn't really have a Calvinist influence. That's that's a very odd and rare thing in Baptist as a whole. There are many, many forms of Baptist, but Southern Baptist is way bigger. And you mentioned here that uh, American Baptists didn't really have a focus on demons. Once again, Southern Baptist, very demon-heavy um, people. So when you hear Baptist, and I'm, I'm not sure how it is in other parts of the world, because Baptist is also a worldwide uh, thing, but mostly I think the influence would be Southern Baptist. I think the numbers would bear that out. Uh, and that's that's a different flavor of Baptist entirely than some of the others. Yeah, yeah, that, that's a that's a great point of clarification. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, I think the furthest south I got was Long Island. So definitely not <laughs> Southern Baptist. <laughs> I see. Um, all right, Andrew. Uh, and uh, then we'll open it up with our first sound clip and uh, and let our freak flags fly.
So one of the interesting things about uh, about the religious tradition that David and I share uh, is that the conservative Church of Christ, uh, not to be uh, not to be confused with the Universal Church of Christ, uh, the Church of Christ, and Firstborn, and all of those Christian Church, all those folks. Of Christ. Yeah, so yeah. there's a there's a conservative Church of Christ that you've heard a lot about uh, if you listen to Still Unbelievable and to, to the uh, former show known as Skeptics and Seekers, et cetera. But the, the interesting thing about the Church of Christ, and it's not the only denomination in Christian tradition that is this way, is that while the members would profess some belief in angels and demons, the main line of those believers would tell you that that angels uh, and demons don't operate today like they did two thousand years ago. So uh, there there would not be any modern demon possession uh, all of the the Catholic Church. Uh, the The notion that the devil made you do it uh, is just a, a colloquialism in the Church of Christ, and so there there is no miraculous indwelling either of the Holy Spirit or of demons. And so it to me is interesting to note that even among people who have a really motivated reason to believe in demons in the way that the Southern Baptists do or the or the Pentecostals do or the Catholics do, even people with the same degree of motivation to believe in, in this kind of miraculous behavior, this demon possession, that sort of thing, even with, even with people that have that same level of motivated reasoning, they don't believe in demon possession. That ought to be a cautionary tale to everyone, the people with the motivated reasoning and the people about it. So think about that as the as the show goes forward, because the ultimate question is, what did we learn about demons when we were Christians? Well, one of the things I learned was, even with the best motivated reasoning around, I still didn't have good reason to believe that demons were possessing people. But it probably goes a little further than that. So one of the questions that we should all ask especially as this show goes on. But at the end of the show, when you're wondering about, uh, when you're wondering about this and nobody's talking in your ear, the question that you ought to be asking yourself is, what is the disadvantage of me not believing in demons? So let me ask you another one. If today you just said, I don't think there's any demons doing anything miraculous. What is your downside? So it very much seems to me, and this is the the last thing I have in my opening, it very much seems to me that the, the risks and rewards of demon belief are flipped in a way that's pretty unhealthy. So, so what do I mean? Um, if you believe in demons and you've got somebody you love and you think they did something wrong and you just attribute it to demons, you're not going to hold them responsible and they're not going to get the help they need. If you believe that demons just 
come and go in and out of people, that the, that the world is controlled by an unseen hand, a hand for which you have no explanation. Not only are you not going to understand the world around you very well, but in a lot of people, it takes away their motivation to understand the world around them. And so if demons are real, it ought to be equally apparent to people with the same level of motivation. Uh, and it's not. There's not. It's not like there's a well-accepted agreement about how demons work. I'm sure we're going to get into that. And if you ask yourself, what is the downside of not believing in demons? There doesn't seem to be any. Okay, I'll leave I'm, it there for now. I'm going to hit our first sound clip here. And uh, as we do that, um, one of the questions that I have asked over the course of a couple of shows that I've done on demons for 4S is why do Christians need demons? Uh, it, it seems like the Christian doctrine would be better off uh, without demons. It's a, it's a kind of a thorny, touchy subject for them with no real benefits that are apparent. And so um, <clears throat> as we work on trying to come up with a better doctrine of demons, I'm just, uh, I'm just curious if throughout the course of this show, and I've been asking people to leave comments on this and they haven't, why do, why is, why are demons even important for Christians? Why is it necessary? Why does it seem like it's so necessary for the Christian faith? Because they, they seem almost embarrassed by the doctrine, but they can't let it go. They can't stop preaching about it. It's in its integral somehow to uh, the faith. Why? Um, let's listen to nameless pastor. Um, I was asked to leave at least one factor of uh, this nameless, either the person who gave it to me or the name of the pastor. So we will just say a nameless pastor. Um. And uh, we won't listen to the whole sermon. I've got a few clips, and there are just a couple of things that I want to point out. That might spur conversation, although I don't really think this conversation needs to be artificially spurred. For us, we can easily forget that we are equally in a war zone that is just as fair as that, fierce as that. Okay, uh, already my first interruption. Uh, we're in a war zone. Uh, when The first time I uh, came out of Yankee Station uh, at night after a game, Great game, lots of fun. Um, and uh, my wife and I made our way to the nearest subway. It was at night. Uh, there was just like penguin shuffling room only all the way from the stadium to the subway. And in the subway, it was, I've never seen, I've never been in such a mass of people in my life. Um, but, you know, one might have said of that, um, you know, it's, it's like a war zone in here. But we would have said that meta, uh, met, metaphorically. This preacher, I've, I've listened to the whole sermon. He does not mean it metaphorically when he says this is a war zone. Uh, he means it literally. There's a literal hot war going on. Uh, so just bear that in mind as as he makes this uh, opening. But because we days, don't see it, we're not always aware of it. 
but the battles that we face are very real. So have a look at this verse from the Bible. It comes in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. It's the message translation. Okay, and just uh, a moment, uh, Andrew, we'll uh, let you in a minute. And it says, this is war and there is no neutral ground. Okay, first of all, it doesn't say that. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care what translation it is. I know the I know the uh message translation. I know Eugene Phillips. It doesn't say that. Uh so uh stop it. Just stop it. In fact, he cites several verses in here and then he proceeds to say uh nothing of the sort. We can't opt out of this war. It's here, it's very real. And uh, for some of you that may come as a bit of a surprise, but I hope that it will help to make sense of some of the things that you see happening around you. Elsewhere in the Bible, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says, This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours. This is for keeps. A life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. Now that I think about it, that so does read a lot like the message, doesn't it? <laughs> but um, this is this is just an insult to what actual war is. It really is. It does it, not. This this shouldn't be dignified. Uh, look, this shouldn't be dignified in the pews when there's not a war. But you're quite we right. are we are living in days right now where all you have to do is turn on Fox News or CNN or Al Jazeera or BBC. It doesn't matter what your news outlet is. You can go to TikTok, YouTube. You can go to Telegram. It doesn't matter where you go. You can find the actual face of war right now. You can find children living in darkness underground for weeks on end without food, with their parents having lost body parts due to Russian shelling. Right. He, I, he, th I he am, thinks that's I am what this is. Quite frankly, incensed um, at, at this at this point. Right. I mean, in, in the days when the world is a kinder, gentler place, maybe this plays okay. But right now, it really just doesn't play okay. No, it doesn't play okay. The, it, he really does mean that. He really does uh, envision that. Here, let's uh, let's continue here. This war is real. There is a spiritual battle that affects us every day. Okay, I just, this war is real. One of the first red flags for this war is that someone has to stand up and say, no, really, this war is real. When have you ever had to say that about, you know, a war? <laughs> no, no, honestly, um, this war is real. There really is a war. Honest, I promise. <laughs> there is a war for our soul, our mind, our emotions, trying to control our bodies, our will, and our spirit, every part of us. Have you noticed the war? I'm sure you've noticed some of the results. So, Okay, so he's going to go over some of the things that he thinks is the war take notes. Have you ever felt tempted to do something that you knew was wrong? I, I'm not going to ask for hands up on that one. Because every time you're tempted, that is a battle in the war. Every time it's not, you're it's tempted. just thoughts arising. No, it's, it's a war. It's a it's, it's demons. It's demons. You can, you can observe them arising. They just come up. It's you just can't demons. 
so triggered by this because confession, that was my pastor from 20 years ago. And I am hey, right Matt, back there. Are you tempted to jump in and say to... something? It's demons. Okay. Yeah, have have you seen the natural disasters on uh, television and, and the wars that are recorded there? Every single one of those is a battle. Natural disasters. That's demons. Hey, can demons cause natural disasters? Can they? He's been talking to Hugh Ross, man. Can, can demons cause a tsunami? Because if not, why isn't it tsunamis all the time? Um, can, can demons... Christians yeah, that I knew not. in my day would have said that demons couldn't do that. But I guess they've gotten an upgrade since then. What were you saying, Matt? <laughs> I missed what you said, Matt. I'm sorry. I was, I was on a roll. <laughs> I said the, the reason they can't cause tsunamis is because of the Christians praying. That's why. <laughs> well, okay. Apparently there's not enough of them now because all of the natural disasters. That in, in the war that is affected by spiritual things. Have you seen what does that mean? Have you seen governments bringing in laws which are morally wrong? Those are battles in the war. Demons. Have you personally? Is that this microphone? Demons. Demons. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll switch over. Oh, this, this is See if this one behaves badly. itself. Have you personally been held back by fear or affected by other wounds from your past? Yes, because you're human. There's a battle in the war. Demons. Do you have strongholds in your life which hold you back? They are part of the war, but the good news that we were singing about earlier is that Jesus can set us free. Set okay, look, free. there's one more here. Strongholds. Uh, I'm going to ask you specifically, Sarah, what the hell is a stronghold? I've heard this oh. language so much from Pentecostals usually. You what? didn't have strongholds? No, you didn't know a first thing about demons and stuff. Then, in that case, they were the things that you did repeatedly. They were things that had like maybe come down through generations. They were like points in your life that were really oh. hard to move. They're not just your little oh, compulsions. Compu compulsions. Yeah, more more than that. They're strongholds. They they gain the ground <laughs> oh. in there. So you you know if you're if you are lusting, you've lost that bit of ground, and you the demons are in charge of that particular bit they're ruling that bit of your life at the moment so they're they're, they're kind of installed it's a place where they're, they're installed it's they're installed at that point that's what a stronghold is and oh my god I you tell don't, you know, what, how you don't lusting, know how triggering you have a stronghold you don't know how triggering this is all is for me. Not not Matthew's stronghold, but just hearing this all over again. The wheels weren't so supposed to come Hold off on. this early. But are we gonna trigger you more if we talk about Matthew's stronghold? I just want to know. I think it's well, I tell you what, definitely any sort of sexual anything is a is a demon. So no, I mean you're really the, stuffed, aren't here's you? The no, thing. Stronghold, um, right? it's, no. Here's the thing. When, a when, when Andrew tried to uh, say, oh, you mean compulsions? You did the Christian things. No, strongholds. <laughs> no, no, I, how dare you try to define this with words we can understand? <laughs> it's strongholds, damn it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What's the what's not to it's uh, well, prince like prince and principalities. I mean, the only princi principality I know is Mon um, Monaco. Monaco. Oh. And uh, I don't really know what that means. Okay, we're gonna, <laughs> it just means a country within a country, doesn't it? So I don't know why there were powers. We're going to get there. Soto is also um, 
uh, a principality, although it's not Lesotho anymore. It's um, Eswatini, I think. I want to go back and do Christianity in one of the fun denominations. Yes. You, you guys got to do the fun denominations. Yeah. I want to go mm-hmm. back and do the fun denominations. My mm-hmm. denomination was not in fun. What's the All point right. otherwise? Like, what, one more little bit here. There's another uh, sign of demons. It's <laughs> torture. Have you known someone who died when they hadn't finished what God had put them here on earth to do? No. That was a lost battle in the war. Okay, so here's the oh, thing. Um, that one must hurt. Yeah, putting yeah. my Christian hat on for a moment. Who has ever died that did finish everything that God put him here to do? I mean, I don't, <laughs> that's got to be a pretty short list. In other words, everyone is a lost battle, I guess. Whenever you die, um, you know, verif- I've been, I've attended many funerals and many deathbeds. Uh, well, people were, you know, gasping at last uh and a a common thing you know in some of those final conversations is to hear people talk about what they haven't done what they haven't completed uh no one feels like uh ah yes i'm good now (laughs) the, the curtain the curtain must fall that's a lost battle uh to a demon i guess um i've got a funny story about about that yeah, let me let me hear your funny story about uh, last gasp on deathbeds. My funny, um, <laughs> it's it's vaguely related, but you'll laugh anyway, right? You guys are familiar with the Calvin and Hobbes cartoon, I I assume. I, no. I had a. I'm sorry. Okay, well, Calvin was a, a you mean Dilbert preteen uh, no, no, cartoon no. lad. You know, he's sort of he's sort of cartoon lad that would throw a stone through the neighbor's window kind of thing. So a cheeky good for nothing lad. So I had a t-shirt with that kind of character on it. And in, in a block of text underneath that uh, cartoon character, it said, God put me on this earth to achieve a certain number of things. Right now I'm so far behind, I'm going to live forever. So that was the t-shirt I had. And I used to wear it you off occasionally usually at the weekend and one day i wore it to church on, oh, no. on sunday and well, it, it gets better it gets better i got to church and then discovered that i was on communion duty oh no <laughs> so there i am standing at the front of the church <laughs> holding the communion wine and bread <laughs> In my scabby shorts and this unironed T-shirt with this thing on the front, which I knew some people in church would not be impressed by. If I'd realised I was on communion duty, I would not have gone on that. I'd have worn trousers or jeans and an iron shirt. But I thought I was able to just slip in at the back and not do a lot. But nope, there I was parading <laughs> this blasphemous shirt in front of the whole of the congregation serving people communion (laughs) i i wanted to die it's funny now but i wanted to die at the time (laughs) right there were there were people there who wanted you to die i assure you no this was pre-harry this was in the early days of harry potter the movies hadn't even been thought of no exactly hey brian let me let me let me loop you in brian uh real quick brian um you you listen to this litany of things that are signs of you know the battle um, demons. How did you in the American Baptists um, think about that? You know the signs of D 
demons. I mean, did you did you think in terms of oh, that looks like demonic activity there? And if so, what what would trigger that thought? Because this guy it seems like everything triggers the thought of demonic activity. Yeah, I, back in back in those days, we would not have hyper focused on the entity, the demon doing the wrong, mm-hmm. but we would certainly acknowledge all of those as battles for our souls, right? Where our minds and our attitudes and our intentions were uh-huh. shifted away from what God wanted. Okay, but us. who is in the battle then? Um, so again, we we it, I'm you know I'm trying to remember what it was like when I was younger in this. We we did not hyper focus on we got to get rid of the demon entity. It was the you got to stop doing the bad thing, and maybe the demon aspect of it was just to underline kind of the stakes, kind of to make it more uh, important, kind of again a higher stakes game that it's not just something you can fix yourself. It's something you need to you know kind of tap into the. Uh, tap into Jesus, tap into God to help you get right. So, you know, so so I'm I'm kind of backfilling an explanation, you know, that I'm not remembering directly. So we, like I said, we really wouldn't have focused on the entity, the demon, but we would have called those things demonic. We would have called them, you know, uh, evil or you know, or Satan inspired. But the answer would have been to pray and to put your mind on God and to get yourself right, so that those things would would go away. So Andrew, if if everything is a demon, then nothing's a demon. It seems like by calling everything a demon, you just marginalize the idea of demons. Um, because everything can't be demons. If everything is demons, then it's hopeless. And so it just turns demons into a metaphor. Is is that um, is that how you understood it uh, coming up in the church? Well, I, so I, I guess there's some real parallels, right? So uh, first of all, if everything's a demon, how do you falsify that there that there are demons? So, if if everything's a demon, uh, there are two problems. First of all, how would I know? What what causes me? It, I guess the idea is a thing that explains everything explains nothing, right? Okay, so that's the first problem. But the bigger issue is if everything is a demon. Where is free will and how do I become responsible for anything at all? How does God charge a sin um, uh, against, uh, against Sarah being tri- triggered by Matthew's stronghold? <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, look, seriously, how do we become responsible for any acts if, if demons are everything? I don't, I don't know. I don't know how you would measure demons or the effect of demons because the ruler is demons. So, I mean, everything is demons. What do you, what do you measure it against? You know, so if someone is having a bout of depression, how can you tell if that's demons or depression? Well, it's all demons. So there, there is no such thing as natural human depression. If there is no such thing as natural human depression, then going to a counselor is senseless because all a counselor can do is give you good conversation and advice and maybe some medication if they're if they're that kind of doctor maybe that bores the demon and they run away (laughs) if you you beat your wife um but there's nothing you could do about it uh because it's a demon um then then why would we hold you responsible why would a christian 
ever hold another Christian responsible for the acts of a demon? Because you can hold out against them. That's the whole point. You, they, they, uh, they oppress you and they afflict you and they tempt you. But you can still, unless you've let them in and given them strongholds into your life, then uh, then you can resist them. And that's what you are supposed to do with prayer and, and everything. And But they're the perfect thing to blame a lot of the time. I think in defense of that guy, of this unnamed pastor, um, he, I know that he wouldn't have seen everything in everyday life. There'd be the cray-cray stuff at the, at the front. I mean, you know, we, we were in Oxford at the time. There's people that are highly intelligent there. It's kind of a, quite an academic town. It's like, you know, people aren't stupid and nor is he. And uh, he would have he preached that on a Sunday, but on a daily practical level, he knew that it wasn't a demon that was taking his parking space and, you know, made his car bump and stuff like that. But it would be those, he would, I think it's just if you want to reflect on something, then you can weave in this narrative of the demon, well, you know, made me late or actually the Holy Spirit made me late and I avoided that accident. The demons were obviously out to get me because I was going to a really important worship meeting. And, you know, you, you would just kind of start spinning these stories in your head. And so, but it depended on whether you get anything meaning so it's not necessarily everything sometimes you would just slam your finger in the door and think and not think anything of it but other times you would spin this narrative around all these things that were happening to you to kind of make sense of it this is what you needed because you're in a cosmic what in a cosmic war where you don't know what's going on uh, so many things are hidden from you that you need to start making sense and you start pulling at these strings and trying to weave a tapestry of of sense in the whole thing but it's just it's just nonsense. It's, it's proper emperor's new clothes. It's just it's just not really there. Once so, you can let, I ask let those filters in there because there's hello. Hmm. I, so Sarah, I've got a question for you that I I hope you can clear up for me. So look, I, I accept that he wouldn't have said everything to demons under under different circumstances. But something you said there was particularly interesting to me. So we we can resist demons uh is is the is the idea well okay so does that mean that um if humans do things wrong and we do things wrong with and without demons so so there are sins whether demons are involved or not what is the point of the christian god having demons running around and and by the way they're supernatural how do humans resist the supernatural? So answer either one of them, but what are the points? What are the point? What is the point of God letting demons run around? And I, I'm still not sure about the resistance thing. That just doesn't make sense. to me. So how would you know whether it was you or the demon? You didn't. I think you maybe missed that, that bit when um, I first started, when I said, you know, that was the whole point. You didn't know if it was just your flesh and something or a bad habit that you got into. I mean, this this pastor would definitely sort of say, you know, you're getting right. into a bad habit. So it could just be you. You need to clean up your life and that's for you to do. And other times, you know, I think if things were a little bit stubborn to go out of your life if some of your um, habits didn't disappear overnight then it starts to you start to question whether it's a demon if it's a, I an ongoing what is sorry I, I got that what is the uh -huh. point of demons uh, why does God have demons running around if humans are going to do good things and bad things with or without demons why does God have them and in, and that still doesn't answer the supernatural question of proving that humans can do battle with supernatural beings and win. But what is the point of God having demons running around if we're going to do the good and bad things without them? Well, 
that's an excellent question. It's not one you ask yourself at the time. You just are told you are in this war. You're not not questioning whether it's a good idea that, uh, you know, oh, whether this war could avoid. We had no idea. And I, a point of we, we would I'd be interested in knowing if ever, anybody else thought Christians could be demon possessed. We didn't think Christians could be demon possessed. Very if you were filled with the Holy Spirit, the charismatics were. So we and if you kept topped up, because that was another thing, it kept it kept coming down all the time. And you had to like pray to bring it back up again. And then it would start slowly draining, whether you did anything or not, it just kind of drained away. Um, and so you had to keep topping it up. And uh, at that point, you couldn't let the demons in. There wouldn't be enough. I don't see any reason why Christians couldn't be demon possessed. I mean, uh, theologically, you could go one way or the other. You well, could that's say, it. Uh, but they could be oppressed by spirits. But so but I had, but they could question. also. There's no reason for them not to be full on possessed. A Christ, can a Christian play with a Ouija board? Yes. Do demons enter uh, by way of Ouija boards when it's not oh, me? Yeah. Right. So <clears throat> why wouldn't a Christian be? possessed in that situation can a christian listen to death metal uh i, I know that uh andrew will answer in the affirmative uh on that um Sinner. not a yeah. real christian can, no exactly can a, no no can well a, the point is a real christian wouldn't have gone and played with the ouija board and yes a, a real christian does all kinds of things all the time no. real christians have affairs all the time real christians oh well in that case if you're opening the door to the demons of, of adultery then you deserve to have it's, strongholds but in that's your life. what but i you, that's you, what you, i mean what, christians are opening be, the door all the time but you couldn't just, well that not if you're like work you know trying not to and trying to live the christian good life but um, you mean if you're trying you not to open the be, door that you you didn't sin if you didn't sorry if you're trying not to sin that means you don't sin i mean what kind of pentecostal church was as you went to because christians were no, beset no, no. with sin if, all if you the just time. if you just do a naughty thing once the demon hasn't got time to get in if you're constantly <laughs> opening the door the demon gets in okay everybody knows this demons are looking for bodies this is what your uh, this is what this other crazy preacher i was listening to to find out what was being said they're looking for warm bodies i don't know why but they need warm bodies Do christians have bodies <laughs> we're a vacation for demons <laughs> i mean um, and that we we were given is it not bodies. hot enough where they are no, exactly. No, but we were given bodies because we're worthy, but they weren't given bodies, which hey, brought hey, Brian, the question to me. What is the difference between an evil spirit and a demon? Because a demon to me is more embodied. So the point was demons weren't were kind of quite rare in the Christian things. To really be possessed by a demon, you would have had to do some seriously bad shit. But if you wanted to, but being oppressed by an evil spirit, a generational spirit, something, a, habit, uh, a murderous spirit, or the big ones, homosexual spirit, those kind of things, they would hover uh, spirits of greed, okay. spirits of let, uh, um, uh, rejection, all those kinds of things. Let, me just, the let, me just ask a, let me just ask a biblical question for the panel, because we were all there and we've all read the damn thing. Can you think of even one example in the Bible of a person being demon-possessed where the Bible indicates, even implies, that it was their fault, that they somehow opened the door. Because I can tell you, I've been I've been deep diving in uh, the Gospels for a little while. Uh, red letters, people. Red letters. Uh, you've heard me mention red letters <clears throat> before. Uh, red letters is the latest book that I've written, and you can uh, get it where all of the great ebooks are sold for just four ninety nine, or you can get it. Uh, for uh, at skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com for just four ninety nine, 
or or you can go you can go write this down to patreon.com slash red letters and pick it up for free uh and the full name of the book is red letters a closer look at the worst practical and moral teachings in history we're deep diving on the teachings of jesus it is a lot of fun it's the best fun i've had on the internet uh since i've been in my 50s so uh, <laughs> it's been it's been fantastic uh the comments are great uh you'll see many of the usual suspects and they are in unusual good form uh join in on the uh conversation we'd love to have you at patreon.com slash red letters a uh a biblical question can any of you think of even one situation where there was any implication that a person was demon possessed because they were evil so what was the reason given for the guy who had legion there was none oh. there was no he there was he was he, he was just presented as an innocent guy Okay. His parents weren't blamed for it then or anything no. like that. Okay. He lived amongst the tombs though, didn't he? So he's near the death thing. I'm sure I reckon well, he did a bit but, of a Ouija board and got a few of them <laughs> see, demons in. But what you're doing is what Christians yeah, do. It's their head cannoning. It doesn't mean he didn't do it. Exactly. <laughs> this, is, this is exactly what you have to do. You have to create this kind of headcanon that the only way you can get possessed is if you're evil and you've opened up the door. The Bible doesn't say that at all. It doesn't David, imply David, that what about, um, what about the Sodom and Gomorrah people? Weren't they living this horrible, evil lifestyle? They life weren't possessed by demons. demons. Yeah, demons weren't implicated in that one. <laughs> there were no demons then. Weren't they having sex with? I thought they were having sex with demons. No, really, they were not really having, they were having sex with <laughs> people. I, I must be thinking of the Republican cloakroom. My mistake. That's why we yell, oh God, when we have Where sex. Where is the mute button? I, I damn it. <laughs> it's angelic. They suggest it to you usually. You may not have come up with it yourself. You may um, not be predisposed to it. So they give you further ideas. And obviously the whole point was we didn't really think Satan was omnipresent, do we? I mean, I don't know. You use the words of demons and spirit, evil spirits and Satan inter interchangeably often. So the whole point is you've got to keep it murky. You've got think, to keep it a bit I think you know, this is ambiguous. a good time for clip number two. Isn't that where the whole custom of throwing salt over your shoulder comes from to get the devil yeah, off your so. back so he stops whispering nasty things into your ear. Yeah, but that might be back? a bit of a superstition, in which case that's evil and that's let a demon in there. <laughs> you don't win anyway. <laughs> you, can't, Look, you can't win your We're going we're gonna, we're gonna to hit clip number two. This is a short one. Uh, I'm going to, oh. I'm going to uh, not interrupt this one. Uh, and then I'm going to give us each as we appear on the screen. So uh, me, I'll go last, actually. Uh, Matthew, Sarah, Brian, Andrew, I'll give you each one to one and a half minutes to bloviate um, after hearing clip number two. 
Second really important thing in this spiritual battle is to recognize that your brother or your sister is never your enemy. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 says we're not fighting against humans. We're fighting against forces and authorities and against rulers of darkness and powers in the spiritual world. We are not fighting against humans. I'll save, I'll save my thoughts. Um, Matthew? I'd rather talk about what we were just talking about. I'm, <laughs> okay. I'm try, to, try to tie him in. Tie him in. Try, try to, this is... <clears throat> This is one of those Christianese things when 20 years ago, I'd have sat there listening to this and I would have been all in behind what he was saying and I'd have nodded in, in full agreement. And now, 10 plus years after I'm out, the only thought I can fathom is, what the freaking hell is he talking about? I, I'm genuinely struggling to make anything coherent out of what of what I've just heard because it no longer makes any sense to me I I I can't pull anything coherent out of it so I I don't know maybe come back to me after the others I might have thought of something but genuinely it really is it's a what the fuck yeah well we'll, look we'll tie all of these themes uh together before we go Sarah um we're not fighting against humans that that makes perfect sense. Let's uh, just keep you, you know. Let's just keep. I think the idea is if you keep, it's genius actually. If you keep people suitably confused about the whole matter, if there's demons, there's flesh, there's crucified flesh, there's um your, your human nature that you're supposed to hate, but that's also giving you good ideas but bad ideas, and God and Holy Spirit and demons, but also Satan and and you know just generally evil, and you're so confused of what's going on, you're highly highly suggestible. I think that's how it works. <laughs> And yeah. so, if, if you're saying we're not fighting uh, humans, fine. You'll t- you'll you'll just you'll just suck it up. You'll believe it. There's why not? Why not? But yes, you are fighting humans. That's that's the only people you do fight against. So let's just be let's just be <laughs> clear about what actually happens. It's yeah. always couched in anecdotal evidence, and the evidence that they they refer to is everything around you everything everything that's there anything bad that's ever happened that's that's your evidence what more do you want divorce disease illness death that's the devil so let's pin everything on that and we need to fight against that and if you're in a place of vulnerability and i this is what i'm finding it really difficult to listen to his him because i can so picture myself there i wasn't well at the time i had me and uh you know i just remember it, it you i couched it all in this cloud of it's the evil one doing something i must be destined for some great you know god work and so the, you know this is i must fight against this and you know and, and you hang on to his words yes we're not fighting it this isn't a human thing this isn't shifting so it must be demo- it must be spiritual in nature and you know i went halfway across the other side of the world to find somebody who was who was supposedly uh i mean you you just 
you're susceptible to quackery, susceptible to all sorts of things because you, you're not analysing things properly. You're spinning this yarn, you're in this fantasy world, but it all makes perfect sense at the time. You step out it for any amount of time, and now that's probably 12, 18 years since I've 18, 20 years since I've been in that church, but it's exactly the same. It puts me right back in that moment of, of just desperation of trying to make sense of this crazy world that where bad things are happening to you and you feel so um unempowered though Jesus is on your side and you're going to win in the end and all those kind of things and instead of just just stepping out of all that and being an integrated person who's responsible for themselves you live in this horrendous fantasy exhausting type of way of uh, of looking at things and it's it's just awful it's really sad it's, I find I'm finding it really hard to listen to this I really am I think I'm oh, going to take dear. that uh, entire speech and make it my new ringtone um <laughs> but- Brian, um, we're not fighting against humans. So who the hell are who the hell are we fighting? Apparently, we're fighting against the supernatural. And um, that that little stretch of clip you played is interesting to me. It seems to be taking the agency out of humans, right? Like it's mm. it's giving us um, off the hook. We don't have responsibility. We don't have free will. We don't have agency. It's all the demons' fault. It makes me wonder whether they'd be, you know, happy to say they're not fighting with non-believers, the people that are preaching that God doesn't exist. I mean, how can we be held responsible for that? Maybe it's the demons that's making me believe that and say that to other people. Uh, I envision that they wouldn't take that angle with people like us. But yeah, this this really uh, is running hard afoul of any sort of free will agency doctrine uh, in Christianity. And, you know, it would be great to see them try to square the circle. Well, you can always resist it, but they're having an influence. So, for example, in Oxford, we'd always say we are under a spirit of, um, and I still want to know the difference between a spirit and a demon. We're under a spirit of academia. This is apparently a, a spirit, you know. Um, so people are proud and haughty and intellectual and sceptical and, and therefore not open to the gospel. So, you know, and it's kind of hovering, doing a thing on people somehow in some way. I don't know how, but um, blinding them. We've, we're all infected right now with the spirit of mockery. I mean, I, know, I believe it's... the term you're looking for is supernatural satanic stupidity. Uh, <laughs> Andrew, um, Andrew, when uh, when you hear or see someone running around the streets of Atlanta or wherever it is you hang out, uh, and they are saying, "Oh, uh, I'm I'm in a battle," but it's non-human. It's it's a non-human. Help me! I'm fighting non-humans. Do do you join in the fight? What do you? How do you? We're not fighting against humans, Andrew. So my my thought on this, uh, uh, thanks, Andrew. By the way, um, 
I thought for sure you would take door number three, that you joined the fight. Oh, let me <laughs> let me let me have a swing at that non-human thing. Um my my thought here, besides the fact that, you know, if we any other context, any other context where a person is babbling that they are in a constant battle against non-humans, they would be wrapped up tight and put in a in a rubberized space. But you say it's demons on a Sunday morning and it's just religion. Um, I, I, I don't see the difference between the crazy, uh, quite frankly. And, you know, this is one of those places where I think that, uh, alien, uh, uh, people, people prophesying about aliens and talking about alien invasions and alien abductions, um, those things were not invisible to them anyway. They're talking about things that are actually tangible for the Christian. It's just invisible people. And uh, they say that in public uh, without shame. But uh, the, the thing I really wanted to say to this clip, and I'll, uh, I'll let the conversation pick up where it was when I, uh, when I dropped there. We'll, we'll try to edit this in somehow. Uh, the thing that I wanted to say is that no matter how much they protest that the battle is not against flesh and blood, have you noticed that with all of your interactions with Christians who believe in demon activity, their battle seems to be with you? It does very much seem to be with flesh and blood. You are a servant of Satan. And so the, the way they get around it in their mind is, oh no, um, you are not the demon. You are human, and I love you, but you are the golem for the demon. So the thing that I am battling is not you. It's the thing in you. It's the thing controlling you. You know, it's the thing for which you are an avatar. So uh, it, it definitely seems to me that the battle is indeed against flesh and blood. Um, Andrew, I believe that you were uh, in the process. We have, uh, we have one more sound clip that uh, we're going to do, but uh, go ahead and have a, a little bit of conversation in there. I'll try to do some All things right. here. So um, one of the things that I found interesting in the run-up to this, considering, in considering things, is when you, when you see an exorcism, uh, you know, you look them up on YouTube, um, and, and minus the video doctrine, what you don't see is demons. What you see is someone behaving erratically, uh, being prayed over by someone else who's behaving erratically. And I find the whole thing, um, I, I find the whole thing very off-putting. Um, it, is, it is humans uh, with, with very serious uh, problems being treated by people who themselves have very serious problems. It, it is human against human. And if it's not, if you're fighting the supernatural, it doesn't mean anything if you can win. If you can beat the supernatural, you must then yourself have access to some supernatural thing. Or... It's just humans doing human. 
and the advantage of seeing things as humans doing human is that we can we can work at explaining things in humans in human terms. And as far as I can tell, there has never been a miracle uh, that that stands the rigors of, of scientific scrutiny. Yes, I've I've read the books. Um, it's just humans doing human. And if it's not, give up. Because the only person that can fight on the supernatural playground are the other supernaturals. Right. Well, the we have on the other side of this, which we're not going to talk about today, but angels. Uh, so it seems to me like what you've got to, if, if you're saying the battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principality, what the hell is a principality, uh, by the way? Um, that's not flesh and blood. Um, it's a prince or a friend with. Um, yeah, a prince, prince that's pal. Pal. Yeah, No, I, I got it. Um I'm just trying. I'm trying to wash that out. So um, it seems like you've got angels that are responsible for all the good stuff, and demons for all the bad stuff. And so angels and demons are fighting, and we're just caught in the middle, uh, being used by either side for some God knows what purpose. So what what is the actual uh, battle going on then? I mean, if the actual battle is not my little life. Uh, then what is the battle? Uh, you know, and if I'm on one side or the other, helping one side or the other do whatever, what is what is the goal of these cosmic bullies battling? And why didn't God just sort out this cosmic battle before bringing us in? Why why are we dragged into that? We don't even know what's going on. We don't know what's going on. And to blame us for anything that happens in the go- cosmic battle is like blaming the gun or the bullet. Um, the the bullet was fired by a person uh, with some goal, and uh, the bullet has no idea <laughs> why it's being fired or what it's doing. Uh, it's just there, and that's kind of how I feel when I listen to Christians talk about this. We're just we're cannon fodder for a war that we don't understand and can't see. No, and have you ever noticed how as science progresses? the claims of what this supernatural war can do decreases. So, you know, schizophrenia is no longer demon possession. You know, illnesses aren't demon possession. We now have, we know now know you know why these things occur. Um, but then just, there's always a story. There's always an anecdotal thing where somebody prayed out a demon or prayed out a spirit and an oppressive evil force um, and the person got better or, or whatever. So there is, there's always, it's always being drip fed, these little kind of things. But what we really need to see to, to make that claim is a, a randomized controlled uh, clinical trial of people being um, exorcised of their demons and a follow up of, you know, how much better they're doing later. That's the only way to prove that this is actually, that these claims are actually a thing. Um, if not, you know, you're just talking on small anecdotal things, which are probably, people with psychological problems. Speaking I mean, which, we, we have those exorcisms in church on a Sunday morning fairly regularly. We would see as a child, people writhing on the floor, foaming at the mouth, kind of eyes rolling back, all that stuff. We'd see all that. So I would have paid us, real money a, to see that. It was that. a true thing. Sorry? Yeah. So look, we've got one more clip and I'm going to open the doors um, completely. Uh, all of the to subjects. demons. All of the subjects are, are still on the table, but I want to bring in this one last clip. And I want us to start thinking about the serious business of formulating 
some type of coherent doctrine of demons. It's just a mental exercise, people. Um, I've tried to do this. <laughs> I tried to do it as a Christian. I've tried to do it as an atheist a few times. Um, I've not tried to do it with other people. Because right now, I mean, everything that we are saying uh, speaks to the idea that we can't imagine any kind of doctrine of demons that is coherent. I want us to try a little, a little harder. But here, last clip. This should prime the pump. Here we go. When I was healed of asthma, uh, it was uh, something that had come down through my family, uh, caused by an afflicting spirit. And uh, it was wonderful. The day I felt freedom from that. But it... how, how did, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. How did he know that the asthma had come down through his family by an inflicting spirit? A few days later, it tried to come back because it, it wasn't just a, you know, a physical condition. It was something spiritual. And How? Does, what? Asthma is physical, right? The spirit tried to come back, and so I rebuked it, and I stood my ground. What the hell does it mean to rebuke asthma? <laughs> I got to stop. And it had to go. Because in the name of Jesus, these things have to go. Uh, but every now and then, uh, not so much now, but it, occasionally it still tries to come back. <laughs> it still comes back. I rebuke thee with a nebulizer. <laughs> we just, we just, just another second. We're almost one day's too short. This is just so and I just st stand my ground and I say, no, I'm not having that. That is not my inheritance from my heavenly father. And so you can get stuffed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you just, oh, so bad. I gotta come but, off mute. He <laughs> <laughs> would have known it was generational because he would have had somebody with a word of knowledge which would have exposed that and then you could claim it for it to go and you would convince yourself it had gone and and that's how it works and of course it isn't so it comes back oh god <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so i'm so sorry i tried to make it through this with a straight face oh. and it's only <laughs> asthma i mean you can take a goddamn ventolin for that for goodness sake you don't need a miracle from that's heaven. the problem there are you were taking your in no. Ukraine. Stop it. I've got some, I've got a uh, rescue inhaler in the other room. Um, really? Just check something. How old is this clip? 2017. 2017 is when it was uploaded. Whether it's an, I mean, this is the stuff we were told back in 1990s, early 2000. And I went So he's back still online. preaching the same sermon 20 years ago. It's later. the same, I think so. It's the same sermon. It's the same disease that was healed. It's the same, yeah, exactly the same. I really thought it would have moved on because they must be rubbing up against people who are taking the mick out of them. And people in the congregation must be going online and seeing some of the better arguments for this and being challenged. But maybe they're not. Maybe they're staying in some sort of bubble where where this just still flies. I'm sorry. And I'm you sorry. do remember being there. The proper incantation for the demon of asthma is... Get stuffed. Get stuffed. Oh, so good. Oh, get stuffed, baby. <laughs> this is an example of a benefit of not 
thinking that the world works based on demons. Remember, no, it's, no, it's a benefit of thinking it does because you can be healed from asthma instead of just taking a puffer. Not, you're not healed if it comes back. <laughs> but you just keep rebuking it. <laughs> <laughs> rebuke it's just so warm and attractive, the demon wants to come back and live in your chest again. I, I said up front that there were uh, that there were that the that the risk and reward of believing in demons was flipped over. This is one of the examples where it's flipped over. Believe in demons, and you think that you can uh, command asthma to leave you, and then it comes back, and it provides you no understanding, no understanding whatsoever of what asthma is or how it works, or appropriate treatment. It doesn't provide you long-term risk mitigation. It doesn't invite you to, uh, to understand uh, the genetic factors. If, if your asthma happens to be a, uh, uh, have a genetic link, it doesn't invite you to figure out how to treat your kids early so they have better lungs in their lives later. Thinking that the world works based on demons is a recipe for long-term misery. Well, it's also a recipe for uh, long-term mental illness. It's a recipe for long-term everything. It's a recipe for COVID uh, running rapid through certain communities. Um, It's that kind of recipe indeed, because you think you've got some kind of magical incantation. You can put on the whole armor of God you see, and if you have on the whole armor of God, uh, then you can fight off these demons. Resist the devil. Uh, someone can help me finish this line. Resist the devil and you, you unstudied heathen. There you go. I, the one you, know, yes. you were the last person I thought this was going to come from. <laughs> there you go. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's uh, Ephesians, folks, and that is bullshit. Uh, because you will, he will not flee. It's kind of like saying, resist the train, and it will flee from you. No, it won't. It will run you flat. Uh, it will run you flat. The whole armor of God that preachers wear clearly doesn't have underpants, because they've impregnated enough secretaries and enough uh, deacons' uh, wives <clears throat> to fill orphanages. Uh, it does not work. Resisting the devil, or, or whatever you think the devil is, doesn't make him flee. And part of the danger of calling everything a demon, you remember that was the first clip that we started with, everything's a demon. Well, then if everything's a demon, then everything's in this spiritual realm that can be handled with an incantation or a prayer or a scripture or just resisting the devil or rebuking the thing instead of real solutions that can save your life. I would love them to. I would love them to uh, to tackle the interaction problem as well with these demons. That would be interesting. Well, now I don't. Know. I don't know how many of you heard the the show that uh, I was on with the the, the Christian show. Uh, I I tried to deal with this problem, and I I know that I was pretty clumsy with it. And I just wanted to say, uh, you know, I thought that Mag Attack and Dale um, and uh, Russell they they did a good job. They did their best uh, with the with difficult subject matter. And so I say that 
uh, with all sincerity and appreciation for uh, them showing up and trying. But my first question, which I don't think we ever really got off of, was how do demons do anything? Yeah. Uh, how do they do it? So if you're saying that a demon can make you, uh, you know, get, can a demon get in your mind and use telepathy to make you do things? Well, they they all said no. And, and then I think some of them went back and said, well, maybe. Um, you know, but if no then how does a demon tempt you? Yeah. Well, he, he, creates situ he creates situations. Well, how does he create a situation? Uh, does, he, does he move rocks in your way so that you hit them with your car? Uh, does he uh, write papers and move papers around on your desk so that you miss important things? How, exactly how did you, what is the workflow <laughs> that these demons are using to do anything? And did you, the, the Christian did you guys get even get, get a handle on whether they could read your thoughts or not, or whether they, were, they weren't privy to your thoughts? Because we were very kind of a bit ambiguous on that. We had no idea whether they could only infer things from seeing things in the natural world, but they couldn't read your thoughts. But then there were some ideas that maybe Satan could. And is it Satan that's mostly fiddling with you? Um, or when, is it him that you get you <laughs> getting his attention as well? Satan is definitely fiddling with me. Is it the demons? Satan says, you don't leave a diary. Is that the mold of the story? <laughs> you know, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you maybe, see, but, maybe. But Christians, Christians kind of take a little bit of offense when you ask and you you press these questions. These are these are kind of serious questions. Mm, if you're saying that demons know. are doing these things. How exactly are they doing these things? And if they have the power, if a demon has the power to get into my mind and read my thoughts and know my weaknesses and then push me to make me think certain things uh, so, that I, so that I have certain desires, I, I have no chance. I have no hope. And I can show you the Christian solution of rebuking the demon doesn't work. <laughs> Because all you have to do is look at all the Christians with their pants literally down right now. It doesn't work. This this you is know. this is such a this is such a big issue that I don't think the Christians realize or want to get into. Mm -hmm. I mean, how can how can us mere mortals be faulted for losing a war against a supernatural agent that's stronger than us? It would be like blaming me for losing a fight with Mike Tyson. I could give it all that I've got. I've got no chance. How, how can you blame me for being corrupted by a supernatural agency? It sounds like something I've been saying. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. You've, got to, you've got to do the fasting, Brian. You've got to do the fasting. That's it. Yeah, if you, you feel hungry, hungry, that's what it is. Yeah, they, don't, they, they leave then. But. Okay, so uh, <sighs> there, there is that inc incident. Uh, here's, here's the red letters moment. Patreon dot com slash red letters here's the red letters moment um so jesus and his disciples are out and his disciples are casting out demons they're doing a, a good job and they come up to, uh, to a demon that they can't cast out and uh jesus is like ah this guy look you've got you you gotta do <laughs> fasting and prayer for this one and i even as a kid reading this story i was like well, wait a minute <laughs> They, they were disciples of Jesus. They were praying all the time. <laughs> so, what, yeah, but this demon was buff, man. So, is there a specific prayer that they needed for this demon? And if so, why didn't Jesus teach it to them? 
<laughs> and and if they had to be fasting to do some of the demons they would encounter, why did they eat fried chicken the night before? Why didn't Jesus say, look, we're going to go get some demons. There are some that require fasting, okay? So <laughs> he's all... the day when Jesus cooked their breakfast on the beach with a huge great big thing of fish? No, I don't know. Um Aren't any of Christ. you laughing at the notion of a kinder, gentler demon? You know, the one that you can just, well, you know, this Airbnb wasn't really open to you. You know, would you just kind of move on? Isn't anybody laughing at the, the demon possession that you can reason with? Oh, you know, you, you've got that kind of demon. We can just talk to it and it'll leave. But this person over yeah. here, that's the kind of demon where you need the fasting and prayer route. Well, and how yeah, long, well, that, how long must what, the fasting these, go uh, on before you do this demon? Because if you don't until know when you go, if, until they well, get all you stuff to death. Here's the thing, though. If, right. If you don't know when you're going to encounter one of these special demons, when is it safe to eat? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this was in one of the in the one of the sermons I listened to that the pastor was going on about there's some demons that aren't really there to hurt you. In fact, they might even help you because they'll make you some money, but you just don't want them there anyway. And he. I, apparently it was some he, I think he was referring to something in the Bible where there was a demon that was being quite helpful to a lady. Does that, does that ring a bell? I can't remember the story in any way, but he seemed to think that that was a thing. Some of the demons aren't really that bad, but they I, we didn't really deal with demons. We, it was mostly evil spirits because you get the impression they're a bit thinner. So they can slide in a bit easier. They can come in, you know, through the through the cracks of your brain. Whereas a demon that had more, it was more body. There's more body to a demon. You don't want that for sure. Okay. But so the just evil stop, spirits. Just, just stop. Just stop it. Stop it. Oh, I would does, like to does point any, out just second. one second. Does anyone on the panel, anyone on the panel, when you were coming up uh, in the church at any point in your church life, did you distinguish between demons? And evil spirits. This is a quick yes, no for me. Really, no, no. Uh, uh, American Baptist. No, no. I think they were the same, or okay. roughly the same. Um. Okay. Yeah, I, Sarah. <laughs> you, Good you to really know, and you need to know your enemy. You know. <laughs> so, I, in in all seriousness, this, this is worth the. This is worth all the listeners knowing. There are serious, there are serious Christian theologians uh, like Hugh Ross, and he's got some co-authors. He, he wrote a, bu uh, a book uh, uh, with some lights in the sky and Light little green sky men. Green men. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and, and so I bring this up because David's right to try to get us to put some bounds around the capacities of demons. We've, we've been having good fun talking about the the kinder, gentler demon that'll just move on on request versus the ones that really take some, uh, you know, some, some demon oil to get them out of you. Um, but it, there's a good question about the capabilities of demons. Well, Hugh Ross uh, et al. Uh, think that demons are unbounded by, by human standards. I mean, maybe, maybe Hugh Ross would, would say quite willingly that uh, demons are, are bounded within the authority of God. But, and, and I will quote an interview with Hugh Ross here. Demons can come and go from human dimension without restriction. Mm. And, and so with that kind of idea, um, it makes the 
it makes the exercise of trying to understand the capabilities of demons pretty useless. They, they don't have a limit by human standards. And he goes on to say that, that UFOs, that there are UFOs that may be demons. No, I'm not kidding. Awesome. I've heard that one, yeah. He's, he's nuts, though. Come on. He's totally nuts, that one. He Seriously. Serious theologians. So I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not poking fun at Hugh Ross, though, though I have, and I, I don't, not I have. But this gets out of hand, doesn't it? Because we are attempting to put some bounds first on a thing that I don't, I, I don't believe demons exist, as far as I can tell. There's no good evidence. But serious theologians think that they don't have bounds by human standards. And so I don't know what to do with that. I just offer it up for the panel because this is actually part of the remit of, of this show to, to try to understand the right. capabilities and limitations. So let's of, let's turn the corner right now. Um, and so let's let's turn the corner to the home stretch and see if we can say some offer some advice uh that might go toward a more coherent doctrine on demons now i can tell you every time that i've done this exercise uh whether i spent a short time or a long time i always came to the same place so i'll just skip to the end you have to get rid of demons uh there's no way to keep them and have a coherent christian message in my opinion and i i can I can tell you of of the Christians that I still am in, in contact with. I, I will name check Teddy uh, here because I love her like a sister, and um, I I wish her well in her endeavors. But uh, Teddy is uh, badly mistaken about one thing, at least that she holds firmly, which is that God is not done with me, and she believes that I am going to return to the faith now. I ride an e-scooter uh, that goes upwards of 40 to 45 miles an hour. So I might get the kind of brain damage uh, that would allow me to return to the faith. Um, and considering that I only wear a 20 mile an hour helmet, you know, this is a possibility. Also, I'm legally blind. Um, I love my scooter. <laughs> You're not taking that away from me. Um, but it would, it, would, it would require that for me to buy into any form of Christianity that has demons in it. Uh, that's how incoherent the doctrine of demons is. You have to get it out. And there are maybe one or two face-saving ways to do it. I think that what the Christian has to do is say, yes, the Bible, the New Testament talks about demons, uh, but it's metaphorical. Uh, in the same way that, you know, the bar bet between God and Satan is a metaphor. <clears throat> Don't ask me how it's a metaphor. It, it doesn't matter. Uh, kind of like um, Eve and the serpent in the garden is just allegory. I think they have to allegorize all demons and the devil. I think, And I think that there are credible ways that Christians could talk about these things and uh, negative influences on human beings and, and human propensity to to do bad things to other humans. I think there is a way that they can talk about that using 
demonology as a metaphor. And I could get behind that. Um, I, I think, I, you know, there's a, there's a universe where I could say, you know, literarily, okay, well, that makes sense. But as long as demons are literal, there is no hope. There's no chance of a coherent Christianity. One of the reasons there is no chance for coherence for me is that there is an ancient war and God has an ancient foe. But God is all-powerful and his ancient foe is nobody compared to him. How can there be a war? It, it, it's like Brian said, it's like a boxing match between him and Mike Tyson. There will be a millisecond between the starting bell and his head hitting the mat. There is no war. And yet God has an ancient foe and a war. We, we, can't, we can't have that kind of incoherence if you want people to get on board without regarding themselves as mad. Uh, so I would say that the first thing that Christians can do and the most important things that Christians can do is to start talking about demons. And indeed, it would be healthy for you as an individual uh, to think about demons as allegories and metaphor. And I think that there are credible literary ways to do that uh, and still save uh, a kind of Christianity. Uh, that's my that's my offer. Anyone else? Um, I think you only you only get part way there with that, David, because at some point you have to address the stories in the new, in the Gospels and uh, elsewhere in the Bible, and those stories are written in the same style or in the same way or with the same intent as the impressive acts of Jesus. So. Just one example, Jesus casting the demons into the pigs that went, went over the cliff. You know, that story is not written as an allegory. That story is not written as a parable. That story is written as Jesus actually did that in the same way that Jesus actually rose from the dead. And so you can't say that story of the demons going into the pigs and going over the cliff was was fictional is a fictionalized edition or was meant as something else because as soon as you go down that road you open up a big wide door that says there are other parts of the bible that you're allowed to doubt too so i think the christian is in a very uncomfortable position where some of those stories involving demons need to be answered and need to be taken seriously and not uh, written away so I think there, and also when you write, when you read other parts of the Bible, you've got this whole narrative of Satan and his minions, whatever label you want to attach to them. They, their existence, according to the Bible, is just as real as God and angels. So you have to come up with a way of explaining it as them being actual real entities that exist in some way or other. So you have to have that point, whether or not you accept in today's world that those beings actually interact with the everyday i think if you're going to say that god does miracles in the everyday which pretty much every christian believes i was told by a christian only this weekend just gone that an incident that he was involved in he is convinced that god saved him from a worse incident than it really could be so christians who i view as sensible mature head screwed on right christians still affirm 
God's action in the world today. And I think as soon as you go down the road of saying, yes, God does affirmative action in the world today, you've got to also answer the question, well, can that also be true about Satan and demons? And if you're going to say, yes, God and maybe angels too interact in the world today, then you need to say, well, the Satan and his demons are also capable of acting in the world today. And if you're going to say one, but not the other, but yet in the Bible, it was true. And in the Bible, those things happens. You need to explain why today is different and why it's okay for God and angels and why it's not okay for demons. And it's not just you being rational, you're being irrational. So you need to explain it. And I think the only way to get there is theologically. I, th I think the only way to get there theologically is Jesus's death at the, on the cross locked the demons into hell and they can't escape from there. I don't really see any other theological way to get out of it. And if you're not going to take that theologically, then you're either being untrue to the Bible or you're being really unrealistic about today's world. I, I, I see your objection, but I would ask you then about the, uh, the necromancer. Uh, there was, um, there was a man who had, uh, a, a servant woman who could, uh, commune with the dead, a necromancer and Paul, either Paul or Peter, encountered her, encountered him, and he cast the spirit out of her. Uh, so then you, if we take your approach that demons were done away with Jesus rose, well, we've got a new strain of demons, uh, and uh, they're still doing the same kind of work in the book of Acts. Uh, either that or necromancy is real. <laughs> so I would if that if there's only the one account, I think the easy way to get around that is just saying it's written in the wrong time period and it happens at another point in time and it's just and it's just moved there because of how the Bible was put together. Fine. okay, that, so both uh, both Matt and I have posed some options and have shot them down. Um, I mean, would anyone else obviously. like to pose uh, <laughs> an option that we can shoot down. But what are you trying to do here? Because if it's to make it make sense, I want to find, uh, I want to understand at least a little bit of my Christian friends, my parents, the people that I, in my life that I love, I want to look at them and not see them as nutters. I want to think that there is a way of thinking about this coherently. And at the moment I cannot. You can't make it be coherent, but it's perfect. It's perfect just the way it is. It's it's ambiguous. It's nefarious. It's dark. You can't see it. It puts people in a gullible state of uncertainty. It's suggestible. It works brilliantly. The evidence is everything. What more do you want? It's a perfect. It's a perfect system. If you want people to believe in it and to and to have that view, then. I wouldn't change anything. It's right. It's just perfect as it is. But if you want it to make sense, no, got no idea. Uh, Brian? Yeah, in, in thinking about this task, it, it kind of calls to, it calls into mind the theology of somebody like Thomas Ward, mm. who says that God can't do everything. And, and I really think you need some strain of that theology in order to make this work, because either God is unable to stop the demon, you know, not have the demons exist in the first place, or cast them out or defeat them or eliminate them. He can't do these things. Or he could... But he needs them. He's happy to have them. You know, they're just 
supernatural, ver supernatural versions of Judas who ratted Jesus out. There's supernatural versions of, you know, Pontius Pilate and the Romans who, who executed Jesus. They are, they are pawns in a game that, that, that God has sanctioned. That well, God let, has let me, created. Let me steal and man everyone's your argument. got their role to play. Let me steal man your argument a little bit because I've talked to Thomas Sword, and I think what he would actually say is uh, God loves the demons too, uh, but more importantly, to keep them from stop, keep them from doing bad things to humans, he can't do it uh, unilaterally. He needs your help. So if you want to stop the negative influence of demons in your life he needs you need to work with him in order to do that so he, it's a, a a cooperative thing so i uh that's that's exactly the sort of thing that uh thomas uh thomas ord has said and would say uh on a matter like demons but you know god loves if you think that's kind of nutbags god loves cancer cells uh god doesn't kill cancer cells uh either oh lordy Right. But so, David, I think you're right. I mean, I, I, I remember, re, you know, listening to the show with him and reading his stuff. The problem is, is you know, you, you stick one finger in the hole in the dam over here and you open up another one on the other side of the wall. So now you've got a God who can't do so many things. So now you can't rely on omnipotence to explain, you know, how he's able to even create the universe in the first place. I mean, you know, what kind of a God can't do something as simple as preventing one cancer cell from multiplying, right? So I, I, I feel like his theology makes sense of evil in some ways, but it's just cause, you know, it's you're, you're robbing Peter to pay off Paul. And, you know, I, 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 which is why ultimately I'm no strain of Christian because I don't think you can square these circles no matter which way. So I, I opted to metaphor out the demons. Matt opted to crucify out the demons. Um, uh, Brian opted to Ord out God, um, and I'm keeping them. Sarah likes them just the way she they are. The demons. She likes them just. The Andrew, way they are. <laughs> don't what, go changing. What ingredient <laughs> would you? Me. What ingredient would you add to this soup? What What would I add to this? Uh, how do I make this make sense? And how do I deal with the Christians in my life who? are in my immediate and uh, and extended family who actually believe in demons and demon possession and think that a lot of this world is explained uh, by the inexplicable acts of supernatural beings. How do, how do I square that? By recognizing that in most things, we all want the same thing. We want a world where we can trust the people around us. We want a world uh, where we can trust each other, where, uh, you know, where we can share a meal together and no one gets hurt. The way I deal with Christians that believe in demon possession is by recognizing that they're human and that all of their beliefs are not things that I have to explain. The thing that I do have to do, if I, if I want them in my life, is find the place where they're human and find the things that we, that we want together uh, and accept that some people 
have a have a uh, a place in their heart for religion that I don't have. And while I think they're flawed, there are plenty of places where I'm flawed that they accept. Um, and I am willing to accept those flaws with the sorts of provisos that I've talked about in the past, right? You, you, can, you can believe in your demons. You can't teach the nonsense to my children. Uh, you can believe in demons, but don't expect me to go along with it. So how I deal with demons is actually by recognizing that I'm as human as they are. Okay, so let's um, let's start wrapping this up. Um, I still have a full day's work to do, and so I'm gonna, <laughs> gonna do some of that. Um, let's uh, let's go in this order: uh, Andrew, Brian, Sarah, Matt, and me, because that's the reverse order as it appears on the screen. Uh, try to keep your comments uh, pithy, and um, uh, Andrew. I don't, people know by now, I don't do pith, get it. Um, okay, so if you want me to believe in demons, here's what you have to do. It's pretty easy. Um, first of all, you have to be able to tell me why Hugh Ross is right or wrong, or why the Catholics are right or wrong. So, so the Catholics have limits on demons, Hugh Ross doesn't. Which one of them is right and how do I know? It's, it's a pretty easy test in the sense that we ask that kind of question all the time. Right. Um, and then if you have some good reason to think that one of them is right and, and one of them is wrong, tell me what test I can perform independently to verify the conclusion that you have. Because Sarah is, is kind of saying all of this stuff sounds pretty good in, in some ways. Right. It, it's perfect as it is. And, and I think I think in some ways she's right. Uh, certainly a lot of people buy it. So the question is, what can you do to get me to buy it? And if the answer is we've done all we can do, okay, well, I don't buy it. <laughs> we, can, we, can just, we can just move on. But I, but I think we do have a responsibility to each other uh, to show how to uh, get to the heart of a claim other than I, I read it in that really cool book over there, and, and I, just, I just think the book's right. I, I don't just think books are right. Uh, I don't. And and your book that talks about demons, I think it's dead wrong. So so you got to do better than that. And uh, and that's really all I have to say about demons. I'm I'm utterly unconvinced. And all you have to do to convince me is is verify your claim in the normal course of events, like you would try to convince me of of any other thing. And, and it's not harder than that. It's not mysterious. It's, it's not unusual. I'm not applying a, a, a higher burden of proof to demons than I would to, uh, to any other kind of claim. Just get me to where you are in the normal course of events. That's it. Brian. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Andrew said a lot of the things that I would say. Um, so just to try to add on a little bit. You know, things, 
things aren't true because they're in the Bible, but things in the Bible are verified as true. So if you're coming to me with the Bible for evidence that, um, that demons are real, then you, you just, you've lost the game before you've started. You know, what evidence would I need to know that you have a brother, David, or that, you know, again, Matthew's got a mailman or Sarah has a best friend. Show me the person, introduce me to them, put them in front of me, have me shake their hand. That's how I get to know that entities are real. If you want me to know that you have an apple, put it in my hand. So I, I don't get this dancing around um, why things exist and why they think that pointing to an, a book is going to get us to where, uh, you know, existence is demonstrated. I mean, it's, unfortunately, it's just par for the course with regards to all these spiritual and meta, metaphysical claims. Uh, so, you know, if, if you're going to make a proof or make a, a philosophical argument, but then you don't have any reference in reality to point to, then all you've got is a bunch of words that are, that are if-then statements, and you still haven't actually demonstrated existence. So you're going to have to bring it into the demonstrable and the verifiable. You know, you can't say demonstrable without demon. Uh, Sarah? <laughs> As, yeah, I'm going to just going to say with, um, you know, if you're deep in this worldview, um, don't give yourself too much of a hard time. It does take a bit of time for the scales to fall off, as it were. You can change. It can be done. Um, we, um, you know, you can drop those perception filters. That's all they are. They're all the, the things that you, you look uh, at life through and you can live in a more integrated and, and simpler way, really, without piling on supernatural claim on supernatural claim. And just remember the fact that it is nebulous and ambiguous and is almost uh, the truth of the, the claims and the, the experiences that people have are kind of go through certain gatekeepers, almost like shamans that uh, just give you anecdotal evidence on this. Um, isn't an indication that it's something mysterious and supernatural and unseen. It's, an it's a very good indication. It probably isn't there. Um, so, you know, test, test the claims and uh, try and look for consistency. And I think you'll soon find that uh, you'll go the way of maybe more progressive Christians who start talking about, well, hell is on earth, really. And, uh, um, you know, uh, people's the terrible things in people's lives are more just you can you can use these metaphors to say they they have lots of demon their demons that they're trying to exercise and you can go down that route if you want but the literal understanding of a demon will will soon drop away with a bit of probing Matt. yeah i won't add to the difficulties around how you demonstrate demons or how they interact that's that's been covered here in the uk we have a, a system of affirming identification so if you take a photo to be put in your passport or in your uh, driving license something like that there there are people that you there are authorized people you go to authorized professions you go to to sign the back of the photo so that when the passport office gets us oh somebody from x profession has validated this person's identify identity and because this is a respected profession we're going to take this identity and so you get things like doctors lawyers or including that Pastors, clergy, yes. clergy are included on that list of respectable, truth-telling, not prone to to bending uh, list of professions. So that's the setup. So imagine this somewhat fictional scenario: you're a pastor, you've got this respect. You claim that you used to have asthma caused by a demon, but it has been healed. So you don't declare it on your insurance form. 
you'd end up having a really bad incident and you end up in hospital as a result of that incident. And the doctor tries to give you medicine and you say, no, you don't need to give me medicine. You just need to read out this incantation and the asthma will disappear. You then try to claim for the costs of that medication and that treatment to your insurance company. And they go, you haven't declared this. Your insurance is validated because you haven't been paying the correct premium price for what you've declared. Okay. Real world applications. I think um, there's so many directions I uh, thought about going, but I'll just go with this one. Um, uh, Matt, uh, I believe the incantation you were uh, trying to find was get stuffed. stuffed. All right. So um, this is <laughs> here's the thing, though. Get stuffed is insufficient for everything. And, and I think this is where the, the seriousness of this issue comes in uh, for me. There are people with real problems. I've known these people. I've been to church with these people. Thank goodness I've never been one of these people, but I could have been. Uh, they have real problems. And their solution, their, their first-line solution is to rebuke the demon. And some things can't be rebuked. Um, I would say nothing can, but certainly the reasonable person would agree with me that some things can't be rebuked. You are, you are married to a brute of a man, and he is coming at you, and he is going to hit you again. You cannot rebuke that away you are going to get hit and you're going to get hurt and if you keep trying to rebuke the demon you're going to get killed there's there's no demon there to rebuke and there's no armor that's going to help you in that situation uh you are a man and you are struggling in your marriage and you're working late and it's the classic situation and you know, the uh, secretary or, you know, whatever the um, the uh, story goes is working late with you and you believe that you are all prayed up and you feel a tinge of lust, you can't rebuke that. You're going to have to recognize your humanity and alter your behavior and your work schedule because you're going to have an affair and you're going to blow your marriage. That's not rebukable. Um, there's no magic for that. Uh, you've, you've got a little bit of a cough and yes, you went to church the whole time and you never wore a mask, uh, since 2020, you didn't put on a mask. Damn it. Uh, the evil spirit of COVID isn't going to get you. You've rebuked it. You can't rebuke that. Um, there is there is no real asthma. You can't rebuke asthma. And if you are caught out without your inhaler and you have a serious enough attack, you are going to fucking die. 
that's what this gets you. And so for the love of God or Satan or the angels or the apostles, you've got to do something with this doctrine of demons. Because if you ever hope to reach someone like me, you're never going to be able to do it with that on the table. But forget about me. Worry about yourself and your family and your job and your marriage, your health and your friends and start taking responsibility and putting in the real work and recognizing the real problems and stop rebuking imaginary enemies. Okay, that's all I've got. Um, thanks, everybody, uh, for showing up. Andrew, Brian, Sarah, uh, Matt, uh, Darren, uh, you're here in spirit. Uh, thank you all, and uh, we will see you all next time.